Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. I'm delighted to have Stephanie Mannan, the Chief Executive of the Central Remedial Clinic, or as most people would know it at CRC, as our guest today for our podcast. Stephanie, I always like to get the backstory of my guests because, you know, we, we all end up in roles, but we've, we, we've taken sometimes a circuitous journey to end up there. I'd be interested in your journey to date in terms of the career you've had and how you've ended up in the CRC. Thanks, Dermot. Yeah, well, I suppose just to start off with, I grew up in Cork and my family had a restaurant in West Cork. So I think from a very early age, I grew up with an incredible sense of work. And I think my family really instilled in us an absolute work ethic from a very young age. And also, I think what that growing up, not only a love of food and a work ethic, but also an ability to communicate, because from a very young age, there were people traveling through what actually was our home and our house into a restaurant. So it was a really good opportunity to learn how to communicate with so many different people. And I think from there, then I went to boarding school because where we were in West Cork was quite remote. And Boarding school in itself teaches a a lot of life lessons around independence and resilience and growing up and coping in a different way than perhaps if you were living at home. And in those days, boarding school really meant boarding school. You only got home maybe once a month for a visit and it was a fabulous experience in Middleton College, but um, it did teach you a lot about coping and resilience. So I went from there to Trinity and I studied and I was drawn to occupational therapy and I studied there. And that was when I first learned to and I suppose really was exposed to the health sector and the disability sector in particular. And at that time, that was the end of the 80s, just moving into the 90s, there were no jobs in Ireland. So um, I got on the boat, the coach and the boat at that time, and made my way over to London, where I lived for the best part of the 90s. I returned to Ireland in 1998. But what I would have to say to give those eight years a really strong shout out those eight years in the NHS taught me the absolute values of being a public servant and it definitely instilled in me a love for public service and striving to be the very best that I can be to deliver for our public service and that has carried with me through my entire career. I would be an absolute advocate of public service values. And I think those values are so in tune with the values of the community and voluntary sector and the charitable sector that it's no surprise that I ended up landing where I did land. When I came back to Ireland, I worked in the Irish Health Service. I worked in voluntary and acute sector. And then back in the, I suppose, late 2013, I became aware of challenges at this organization called the CRC. And it really did attract my attention. I'm a woman who loves a challenge. So when the job was advertised, I applied for it. And the rest, as they say, is history. And I became the chief executive of the CRC. Given the time that's in it, I have to ask, how are you coping as an organisation with the COVID-19 lockdown? How have you been managing? 
And I think the um, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic has um, created complete and utter disruption to the lives of the people that we serve. There is no other way to describe it. It has also significantly and, and totally interrupted service provision to our client group. The CRC, in a nutshell, we provide a comprehensive range of social care services, of day services, medical and therapeutic appointments and services. We have two schools where we teach in excess of 180 children. We provide outreach services nationally. We have six locations in Dublin and we have location in Waterford and in Limerick. So across every single part of our service, virtually within a couple of weeks, the service was completely transformed. I have to absolutely applaud the staff of the CRC. They have been incredible. I have currently got over 90 of my own staff redeployed to other elements of the the service and the sector. I have staff working in nursing homes that were in crisis, in community nursing units belong to the HSC. I have staff working in our hospital systems and our community nursing units. I have staff working in hospices with other charitable agencies. I have a number of our staff working in testing in Crow Park. I have staff appointed to the tracing for the HSE. And finally, I have a significant group of staff who are the main staff that are staffing the City West facility, the self-isolation facility. And that was really, really important for me because when this happened, I turned to the staff and from day one, I said, we are going to play our part. We are going to support the sector in the broadest way to be able to manage this, the response to this pandemic. So in addition to that significant redeployment of over 90 staff, I have another group of staff that are working as what we're referring to as core teams. So I would have six core teams spread across Dublin and in Waterford as well, where we are supporting our clients through a whole variety of methods and means, from telehealth to um, Zoom classes. I think the last count was we had 25 Zoom classes running for our adult services and for the adult clients that attend. We overnight and well within a couple of days, we converted our Ability Program, which is run in collaboration with Kaloish de Ida. It's a public funded program. We converted that to a complete online education program and that is still running in order to get those students to their QQI qualification at the end of the academic year. So we have completely changed the services that we've run. So it has been a remarkable experience, I have to say, this COVID. It has completely interrupted our lives and our clients' lives and the services that we provide. But we have reimagined and we have really redesigned our service delivery model. And I think we probably might come to it later, but we have learned that actually some of this should be and will be continued on into the future because it really is very innovative. I'm really struck with the fantastic flexibility of your staff because the range of things that they've got involved so quickly and so willingly, you know, I think it's a testament of everybody pulling together. Uh, but it does need people to step up and take on new roles and take on new challenges. And, and certainly the staff at CRC are doing that in Trumps. And also it has reinvented a lot of ways of doing services and in, created new ways of doing things that we wouldn't have thought was possible, even though they were technically there, but they get acceptance from people, as I say, the Zoom classes and things like that. I think it will allow people to completely rethink how we access and how we provide and how we deliver services. And you had a few examples there of new innovative approaches that you will continue as part of your service offer going forward.
Absolutely. And I meet with my senior management team every morning via Zoom and I get an update because I'm really keen that I'm kept connected with particularly the redeployed staff because I have a huge responsibility to those staff to still look after those staff, to let those staff know that we're there for them, we will support them and any issues that may be raised in their area, depending because the first team that we redeployed, we redeployed into a nursing home that was in complete crisis and the HSE called us and said, was there any way that we could help? And I have to say that team, they were incredible. They went into a nursing home that had found itself in a very difficult situation and the flexibility that they showed was tremendous. But coming back to some of that innovation, one of the reports that I got recently was that the staff have noticed that a couple of clients who maybe when they're on site and in our local centres and in our day centres would be more reluctant to join in certain programmes or certain classes, some of them are now joining in in a lot more activity because they're joining in remotely. So it really is incredible. One of the other things that we've done is staff are going out and delivering packages. Not only are they delivering maybe a pack for the week, which will have lots of different activities in it that we'll then connect in with them on, but we've also recently delivered even cooking pack where they then join in and we do the Zoom class through the online portal or screen and the client might be working on their own or some people with their carer to help to maybe cook the dish that was picked for that day. So there's been some really incredible examples of people working together and collaboratively. And then some clients who are in crisis, we've been able to go out with our minibus and our driver and within social distancing, we can carry one client in a minibus that would have previously carried significantly more, as you can imagine. But it means you can maybe go out and offer a little bit of respite by bringing the client out for a drive and maybe giving them that opportunity. I mean, a huge part of this, as you can imagine, was a comprehensive business continuity plan. And it's one thing having a business continuity plan in writing. It is quite another to make it a reality. And the staff have been remarkable in developing the business continuity plans across all of the different services. And now we're in our next phase, which is looking at our business recovery planning. And this week, we've had a number of meetings on looking at how we're going to start recovering our business and phasing in the next levels of service and layering upon layering depending on how we can respond to the phases also in line with the government phasing. So there's a lot of work happening in that space at the moment. Fantastic. I'd like to move on to the journey that CRC has been enhancing its governance structures because it is a great story. You you joined probably when the organisation was going through a very difficult time but it's now recognised as an exemplar in terms of good governance practice. You might give me a sense of the sort of things that you have put in place and things you've learned to have gone through that journey over the last number of years. Indeed. I mean, I, I came into post Dermid six months post-crisis. So there was a brand new board and a new CEO. I think it's fair to say when an organisation goes through a failure as catastrophic as the one that the CRC went through, and it was, and I need to be very clear, it was a governance failure. And I think it was, the organisation was very hungry to remedy that. The CRC had been an organisation with an exceptional reputation, and this wounded the organisation and it wounded the CRC to its very, very core. It broke all the I suppose what you would term as psychological contracts between the CRC as an entity and its staff, its supporters, 
clients and funders. So it required a comprehensive and 360 degree approach to rebuilding the governance structures. It's a case of what didn't we do really, Dermot? And how long is our time? We, I guess, maybe in summary, really from the very get-go, I would have been supported by a board that was put together based on their skills. I think that is a really important thing is that you actually have a board that is highly skilled and that the board understands the business that it's about to oversee. There has to be a combination of that and, and that's what we had. And certainly between the board and the new CEO, we had a combination of passion for governance and to lead the organisation through the changes. We've completely overhauled the organisation from a governance perspective. Um, there was a, a new board and a committee structure and the board were based on skills that were required at the time. So the board at the time post-crisis were very focused on, as you can appreciate, regulation and compliance. Also a new CEO and a new management structure was put in place. We looked very quickly at where we were non-compliant. So the areas of non-compliance around the staff salaries at the time, we looked at compliance on all of our financial accounting, we looked at compliance from a governance point of view and we put in place a system and a plan to remedy all of those which were all closed out very quickly and very efficiently. We made sure that we had very clear defined roles and responsibilities for the board, for the committees, for the CEO. We looked at authority levels and internal controls. We established those and we communicated them across the entire organisation. I think you can't second guess the need for good and honest communication with all stakeholders. We would have looked very clearly at the reporting structure throughout the entire organisation. We put in place clearly a very comprehensive approach to developing a strategic plan. We launched the strategic plan in 2016 and we're currently in year four of that five-year plan and part of that has been really, really important because that strategic plan has guided the operations for the organisation and has guided everything that this organisation does. So no matter what we do, we tie it into that strategic plan. And I think I have to say, I've never worked in an organization and I've been working since the 80s. I've never worked in an organization that has so diligently used its strategic plan to guide and to assist in its decision making and its planning. Now, that doesn't mean that we are slaves to a strategic plan. Every year, we sit down with the board and we review that strategic plan on an annual basis. We check, is the strategic plan still on target? Is it still relevant? What are the risks to progress? Where are the issues that we might need to make some changes to? But in the main, it has completely withstood the test of its time and its five-year plan. So I think that has been really, really important. We won um, a governance award, and that's the initiative of keeping connected, because it's really important that a board connects and keeps connected with the organization and with what the organization is doing and indeed with particularly in a service organization with who the organization are providing services to. So the Keeping Connected session is a section on every single board meeting that brings part of 
the organisation into the board. And that would be, for instance, you might have a group of parents coming in and presenting to the board. You might have a group of clients coming in and presenting to the board on a particular service that they receive. You might have a group of staff coming in, presenting a project from a different part of the organisation. So the Keeping Connected sessions have been really, really valuable because they make the organisation very real. Sometimes at board level, people can get lost in the governance and finances. Yeah, yes. no, I know. yeah. and they can it lose sight of that connection. Even with the best in the world, you can get very easily become detached for why are you there and then what the purpose of the organisation. So those simple things like can be very powerful in, in reconnecting the board with what the business and the purpose of the organisation is and it's meeting staff, meeting client groups and it's a powerful tool that not enough boards use and I think it is great grounding as well for board members to sort of say, well, this exactly is what the organisation is all about and this is why I give up my time to serve on this board and I've seen it work and when it does, it's brilliant. Listening to you, I said that probably has served you well in the current crisis, that the support and flexibility that you've got from the staff on the back of having gone through a terrific time, but seeing the rebuilding and the renewal and focusing on core values coming through, I think really probably is part of the testament to the overhaul that you've been through and, and the journey you have been. It's standing you well in the current crisis that you have a, such a dedicated team of staff and, and getting the support from your various stakeholders. The culture is an important thing of an organisation and getting the good governance culture in place. What for you have been successful in CRC in getting that culture in place and, and reinforcing that culture? Well, I think when we were actually preparing the strategic plan and we went out and we did broad stakeholder engagement across all parts of our services and we included staff, clients, supporters, volunteers in putting together the strategic plan. But key to a strategic plan and one of the first questions is looking at the mission, vision and value of that organisation. And it was one of the first parts of the strategic planning process, but it actually was also the very last. And at the very end of that process, I would have gone back out to people to re-engage to sort of say, what is the culture of the organisation? How do we live and breathe this culture? And how do we live and breathe the culture that we all want for the organisation? Because clearly the culture of the old organisation had had been significantly challenged. And it wasn't about throwing everything out. It was about holding on to what made the organisation really special. Because the CRC is an incredibly remarkable organisation. There is an amazing sense of family and and it is all about communication and staying communicated and living the values so behaviors are the only way that people get a really good sense of how you live your behaviors and i think that means that we have an organization and it's developing and paying attention to an organization so that you can have an organization that is a listening culture that is a questioning culture that has a respectful culture and that is seen and lived by the interactions between one another and how people behave day to day we think that is, and I suppose I believe that that's really, really important. One of the elements that we've done in through this COVID-19 is that I started to write to staff every day. I didn't quite realise I'd be still writing to them every day. But I, the amount of staff, because so many staff are working virtually or they're working in redeployed areas or they're working in our different locations and we can't see them and we can't visit them. So I started to reach out to ask people to share 
share their stories and we would call it a day in the life. I was flooded with some amazing stories from people's experience, whether they were testing in Crow Park, whether they were sitting at home trying to juggle children, husbands, dogs, and trying to work virtually. And so every day I've been able to share one story. We've had stories from the chef that we've redeployed to another area, from our receptionist in the front line, from our staff down in Waterford and how they're experiencing um, COVID-19. And we're almost, and, and I think that has been really, really important. And the amount of feedback that we're getting on how that has kept people connected with one another and that they feel that they understand what we're all going through and they feel together has been really, really important. So I, I would have to say it's communication, communication, communication. You cannot over-communicate when it's about culture. And you also do with culture, you need to lead by example. You need to be able to say, I got that wrong, I'm sorry. And you also need to be able to call out behaviour when it isn't uh, in keeping with the values of your organisation. So you have to be brave and you have to be strong. It isn't about letting everybody do everything all of the time that they wish. It is about holding people to account as well. So I think it is about getting that whole round, again, that 360 degree uh, approach to maintaining a good culture and enabling a good culture and a culture in an organization needs to be nurtured. It can never be ignored. As they say, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Indeed, and if you haven't had the right culture in place, God knows what kind of mess you would be in today. What do you see as the particular opportunities for the charity sector post-COVID-19 and maybe some of the challenges they might face? I think for the whole sector, whether you're a big charity, whether you're a small charity, clearly resources are going to be a massive challenge for the sector. We all know how much this pandemic is costing the state. So at some point, the country has to address that. And um, we've all lived through very difficult and very lean times previously. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the country is going to face the enormous bill that has mounted because of the pandemic. And I think that is inevitably going to put stress on the resources available to support charities and to support organisations in the community and voluntary sector. So I do think resources will continue to be and will probably be an even stronger and greater challenge. Not only would they be the resources, as I've just described, from our granted in income, but also from fundraising. Charity sites, by the nature of us, we're all competing for the same amount of money out there. And now there's a significant increase in unemployment. People are going to have less money. So that's going to be an additional challenge for people. And the flip side of that is that charities will be required probably even more to be able to support people who find themselves maybe in in a position where they didn't expect to see themselves three, four months ago. People have lost their jobs. People are struggling now with um, rent. People are struggling even more with paying mortgages. We are going to be massively challenged. And I suppose this is the very time where the community and charity and voluntary sector tend to step up and tend to try and find solutions and support society through these challenges. So I think that is going to be a significant challenge. I think in the midst of that, we all know we struggle with attracting people to be board members. It is an onerous task. 
it yes it's rewarding but it has significant responsibility and accountability and people are seeing that more and more so it's a challenge to attract people with the right skills and the right expertise to sit on boards and that's going to continue i also think attracting staff to um, i suppose talent really attracting the right talent to work for your organization is going to be an ongoing challenge because particularly if we're trying to compete with private sector and salaries and it's going to be very tough i would imagine over the next 12 to 24 months so there will be some of the key areas that i see as major challenges that will continue for the sector going forward I think regarding opportunities, Dermot, I have to say, and and I hope I've described the collaboration that certainly um, the CRC has shown by stepping up for the HSE in particular and supporting the health sector in its broadest sense, as I said, including hospices and other charitable organisations through this. I think that has really helped with relationships and um, honest and good and strong relationships between ourselves and our funders. I think we already had pretty good relationships, but we've certainly strengthened those relationships. In the past, one might have referred to some of the relationships in some quarters being more of a servant-master relationship. But I think it's really important that we build now on the experience through the pandemic of how we worked together and that everybody, everybody that comes to the table remembers that partnership and embeds that really good understanding of one another and how we were there for one another into the relationships because there are going to be tough times for a lot of organisations. And I think that that is going to be really important and I think it's a great opportunity. I also think the other opportunity is, as we were saying earlier, the innovative way we have learned to be. I genuinely would have not believed we could have run so many services remotely for the CRC to our clients. I would have been quite a traditionalist um, and I would have thought, no, no, you need your clients in here and you need to be laying your hands on people and you need to be um, face-to-face and supporting people. And whilst, of course, we do need to do all of that and we will continue to do need to do all of that, I can now see, well, actually, we can do a phenomenal amount and we can reach so many more people by some of the virtual work that we can do as well. So I think that that has been a phenomenal learning opportunity across the entire sector. And whilst organisations like ourselves and the CRC will always need our buildings and our equipment, there are some organisations that maybe are thinking, well, do we need to spend that much money on renting that facility if we can find ways of still maintaining the team culture, the organization culture, but by people working remotely. I think there's a lot of questions that I certainly wouldn't have all the answers for, but I think it definitely this has given us phenomenal food for thought for the future and the shape of the future, particularly maybe for some charities that are struggling financially and they might think, well, actually, could we do this without paying that big rent, even if it's only for the next two years to get back on our feet and to make sure that all of the income that's coming in can be used to the best output possible. So I, I think there's lots of opportunities for the sector for the future. I fully agree. And as, a, as a, a new, fresh thinking in light of the experience, the shared experience that we've had during the last couple of months, I think should be hopefully be seen as a, a positive and new relationships and strengthened relationships will emerge from, from this. Just my final question I ask my guest, Stephanie, is what would be your top three wishes for the sector over the next five years? 
My first wish is that all of our colleagues in the sector are well and healthy and personally get through and survive the pandemic. I think that's really important because this pandemic has touched us all and I wish everybody well in this space. My second wish then would be on that relationship piece that we actually really develop that and build on that collaborative working relationship, not only with our funders, but with one another. We are competing with one another in Irish society. And I do think there's a potential of perhaps doing more collaborative work. And that would be a wish for me that we could maybe shift away from a little bit of the competitive nature between different charities and move to a more collaborative working together culture, even that there could be the opportunities for things like developing shared services. And I know that an organization like Carmichael, you provide a lot of those shared services, but even some of the larger charities, I think we could be brave and we could look at some shared service type of opportunities as well. And my last wish is going to be a personal wish again for the sector particularly that I work in, which is the sector for disability. There's a number of charities in this country are working for the betterment of people with disabilities. And really, it is about that we create a society in this country that people with disabilities have equal rights at every part of their life journey. And that if a child is born today with disabilities, that that child, that family know that this is a child who's got opportunities in this country. I really do appreciate your time and lots of useful insights and help our people, but also there's a fantastic story that's been going on in the CRC. I know CRC has a long, proud history, but for me being a bit of a governance nerd, the recent journey has been of particular interest and well done to you and the team and the board and the successful journey you've been completing and, and continue to do over the years and every success for the service you provide. So thank you very much, Stephanie. Great talking to you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gafol. Go